Uh, it's been a, a, a kind of a cool series, and we've been talking about these stories throughout the book of Judges, and some of them are just gruesome, awful stories that you just can't even imagine it, it actually happening. And, and, but, but here they are, and, and I think it's something that we can learn from. And, and, and what was happening was that actually the book of Judges actually ends with this, is that it, in that time, Israel had no king, and everyone did just what was right in their own eyes. And we, we talked about these stories, we would see that there was just this disobedience uh, of, of Israel, that they would just go the opposite way of what God was asking them to go, and there would be some kind of disaster, that they would be, end up in slavery, they'd end up in bondage or something, and then they'd realize, oh my gosh, we did it again, and they would repent, and they'd ask God, and he would send another deliverer to try to get them out of the mess <laughs> that they were in. And honestly, if, we, if we're just honest, we look at our own lives, and, and it's kind of the story of our lives, isn't it? Then we kind of go astray, we do our own way, we do whatever we want to do, with when we want to do it, with whoever we want to do it, and we end up in a disaster, we end up in disobedience, and we think, how in the world did we get here? And it's all because we just don't want to be told what to do, do we? It's one of those things that we just want to do what we want to do. And so it's just because this whole repeating kind of thing. And here is Israel who keeps wanting to have a king. They want to deliver, they want someone to come in that's going to... To, to, to rescue them and to deliver them. They think it's going to be this military leader. And so they keep asking God for a king, and God says, no, just do what I ask you to do. Just live in the boundaries. Just live in these guardrails that I have for you. And what we'll do is we'll show the rest of the nations what, what worshiping the one true God looks like. It'll be amazing. Just follow me. But Israel kept disobeying and going their own ways. And so as we look at these stories throughout these judges and, and all the mess up and all the stuff that was happening... God was still working behind the scenes to set up the ultimate deliverer, the one true king that we just sang about that we're going to celebrate this coming Easter. And so today we're actually going to look at a story that is not in Judges, but it actually took place in the time of the Judges. We're going to actually be in the book of Ruth. So if you want to get your Bibles out, your U versions out, it'll also be up on the screen here. But again, here's Israel looking for, for this redeemer, and, and they did think it was going to be a government leader. There's going to be this that someone is going to come in and rescue them because that's what the world knew at that time. And, and, and even the disciples, you know, after the judges, these prophets would say there's a Messiah coming, there's a king coming. And even the disciples, when Jesus was on the scene, they honestly also thought that the only way they could be rescued was through a government, through a ruler, through a military leader. Sounds kind of familiar, <laughs> doesn't it? But here's this thing about today that I think is so fascinating and so amazing that when all seem lost, when we end the judges, and you think there's just no hope, you know, there's just everything is just an absolute mess, that everything that's going on in here, there's this subplot happening. That God is setting up this woman who feels abandoned by God, who actually changes her name because she thinks God is just against her, and, and he's going to use this woman to bring on the one true king, the one who is the rescuer, the only one that can change the world and actually rescue us. So Ruth, chapter 1, verse 1, let's just dive in and just read through this. It says, In the days when the judges ruled in Israel, a severe famine came upon the land. So a man from Bethlehem in Judah left his home and went to live in the country of Moab, taking his wife and two sons with him. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife was Naomi. Their two sons was Malan and Kilion. They were... <laughs> I'm not going to make this through all these names. <laughs> they were Ephrathites from Bethlehem in the land of Judah. 
And when they reached Moab, they settled there. So there's this famine going on, and this gentleman says, you know what, I'm just going to go, and I'm going to take my whole family, and I'm going to move them to a place where we can survive better. It makes sense, doesn't it? But things, again, don't go very well for this whole family. Verse 3, then Elimelech died, and Naomi was left with her two sons. The two sons married Moabite women, something they really weren't supposed to do, but because they were in a different land, they really had no choice, and, they, and Naomi realizes that, that, that the only choice we have is to marry these, these foreigners, if you will. One married a woman named Orpah, and the other a woman named Ruth. But about 10 years later, both Malan and Killian died. This left Naomi alone without her two sons or her husband. And we look at this and we think, man, that, that, that is a bad scenario. It's, you know, it, it's just really too bad. But it's so much worse in this culture. These women were about to be desolate because they were seen as nothing more than property, and the only way of survival really was through men. They had to have sons or a husband to provide for them. So here they were, outcasts of the society. They were the most disadvantaged class in this culture. They were going to be suffering in everything that they do. There was no support system for them. They were going to have to live off of generosity. And here they were wondering how in the world, this is a desperate, desperate situation for them. Verse 6, then Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had blessed his people in Judah by giving them good crops again. Things are going in Israel, going in Judah, going back to to normal. So Naomi and her daughters-in-law got ready to leave Moab and return to her homeland. And she's getting ready with her her daughters-in-laws, and and, and they're getting ready to take the move, and she starts to realize this is not a good move for my my daughters-in-laws. You know, they're, they're, they're going to be foreigners in this land. They don't have husbands. They're going to be much better off if they would just stay here. And so this is what she says in verse 12. Things are far more bitter for me than for you because the Lord himself has raised his fist against me. Things had not gone the way she had hoped. This is not where she wanted it to end up. She's in a situation that she knows she's desperate, and, and, and she doesn't want to drag along her daughters-in-laws in this, this whole mess, and it's a dangerous time for them. Not only are they single women, but they're going to be traveling, and, and, and who knows what could happen. You've heard some of the stories that happened in this time with judges, what happened to women in this time. And it was just brutal. So it's a dangerous thing. And she tells her daughter-in-laws, you just need to stay here. Don't go with me. And then there's this beautiful piece of Scripture that many of you have probably heard where Ruth tells her, her mother-in-law that she's not going to leave, verse 16. But Ruth replied, don't ask me to leave you and turn back. Wherever you go, I will go. Wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people, and your God will be my God. Wherever you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me severely if I allow anything but death to separate us. And there's this amazing piece that, 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 that Ruth is so loyal to her mother-in-law She's going to be in this thing together. She's going to, to leave everything that she knows. She's going to sacrifice her, her, her way of life. I'm going to go to the unknown. I'm going to take whatever comfort I may have or whatever stability that I may have and be able to, to work into my own people here. I'm going to leave all that. I'm going to leave my family. I'm going to leave my, my religion, if you will. I'm going to accept your God. I'm going to trust your God because I've watched you, Naomi. And even though the, the, the things haven't gone your way, you have never lost faith and what your God can do. Even when you don't see him working, I'm going to trust him. I want your God to be my God, and I'm going to go with you. And they make it 
to Bethlehem, a dangerous trek. And the whole town there sees Naomi, knows that she's been gone for quite some time, and it's kind of a little uproar. They're excited to see her, and they start talking. And listen to this in verse 20. She tells her friends who are, are, are welcoming her back, and they're calling her Naomi. She says, don't call me Naomi, she responded. Instead, call me Mara, for the Almighty has made life very bitter for me. Probably all of her friends went on spring break to Florida also, so that's just, you know. She's a little frustrated. I went away full, but the Lord has brought me home empty. Why call me Naomi when the Lord has caused me to suffer and the Almighty has sent such tragedy upon me? And I love this because she's just being honest. Life has not gone the way that she had hoped. She's in a situation that she does not want to be in. And she's been raised with all the stories of how amazing God is and how he's always come through, but it doesn't seem to be happening for her. And what is she going to do? And she doesn't put on this fake face to her friends. And we've all done this, haven't we? We put on that fake face, and maybe some of you even this morning driving. I don't know what it is, but, but don't your kids on the way to church just, you just, and you look back and you say, you know what, I'm going to beat you within one inch of your life if you keep this up. Or you have an amazing uh, fight with your spouse on the way to church. It happens, doesn't it? And, but man, you hit those front doors out there and you walk in and you are all smiles. You know, you put on that fake face, but that, you know, name was not having any, any part of this. She says, no, man, I just, I feel smited by God. I just don't even call me my name. I'm just filled with bitter. But here's the interesting thing with this. Is you notice that in all of, all of the stuff that's going wrong, what Naomi does is she goes back to Bethlehem. In all the struggles, in all the, the, what she feels is a curse, she, she says, you know what, I'm not going to run away from God. I'm going to run towards God. I'm running towards my community. And that's something that we don't do very often. And we see people, they'll, they'll actually go farther away from God instead of coming back and saying, I don't know. I'm struggling. I don't know if I even believe all this stuff anymore, but I'm going to go around the people that I know that can help me. And I love that she does that. She's going closer to God instead of further away from God in the midst of all this. And she thought her whole life that everything that she had hoped for was over. And she didn't realize that she was actually at the epicenter of what God was planning to do, what he was going to do, preparing the true one deliverer that was going to come. He was going to rescue the world, and she was going to be a major part of this story. So Naomi and Ruth come back to, to uh, Judah, and it's in the, the center of, of the barley season where they're harvesting barley. And, and, and there's some interesting things here. And again, you know, we've been talking about God's laws and why he does some of the things he does. Well, as they were harvesting these barley, those barley fields, they would actually, what they would do is they'd leave a little bit. They would cut corners, if you will, and it was a way that God said, hey, let's provide for the poor and the needy. And so they wouldn't harvest the whole fields, and if the harvesters would drop anything, they weren't allowed, it was the law, that they could not pick it back up. And so these people who were poor in the community would be able to come and, and work for themselves and go and, and harvest behind, and they would have, be able to live through this. It was one of God's ways of providing for the poor here. And so Naomi asked Ruth, said, would you go, and, and, and so that we can have something, would you go and harvest? Would you glean behind the harvesters in these fields? And, and again, this is a very dangerous place. You know, women alone in that time would, would get, could get carried away. They could be kidnapped. They could be all kinds of terrible things could happen to them. So Ruth goes, and she happens to pick a field 
that's owned by Boaz. And so Boaz actually sees Ruth out here, and it's not kind of a weird attraction type of thing. He just happens to see this woman, and so he, he asks, well, who is this person who's out following our harvesters in this field? And so he gets to start hearing the story of, of what has happened and why Ruth is actually there. And he starts having compassion to her, with her. And so Boaz goes to Ruth and says, hey, just follow my workers, whatever field they are in, and, and you just glean all that you want. And I'll make sure that you're, you're taken care of, you're protected, no one will harm you in all of this. And she's so grateful, but she says, you know what, though, I am a foreigner. And so I don't know why you're doing this. And here's what Boaz says in, in Ruth 2, verse 11. Yes, I know, Boaz replied, but I also know about everything that you have done for your mother-in-law since the death of your husband. I have heard how you left your father and mother and your own land to live here among complete strangers. May the Lord, the God of Israel, under whose wings you have come to take refuge, reward you fully for what you have done. He looks at her and says, you, you are so loyal, you're so honest about what you're doing. And, and, and Boaz is one of those guys who, who has this honorable intention and so he sets her up for success, and, and he protects her. And, and, then, and Ruth goes, and, and she harvests a lot of barley, and she brings it home. And Naomi says, what in the world is going on here, Ruth? How are you bringing all of this? Man, this is unbelievable. And, and Ruth says, well, I, I happened upon this field. By this, it's owned by this gentleman named Boaz. And Naomi starts putting it together. This is actually a close relative, not a distant relative, actually, of, of my, my late husband. He's actually our kinsman redeemer which doesn't really mean a whole lot to us. And, and let me kind of put it this way is, I don't know if you have somebody in your family that just has more money than sense, you know, maybe a, a, a wrench uncle or something like that, that you know that, and other people in your family know that yeah, if, if push came to shove and anything really ever did happen, I could probably go and squeeze a few bucks out of him. Well, this is, is who Boaz is here. He's, he's kind of the rich uncle. He's a kinsman redeemer or what was called a goel at that time. And they had basically four responsibilities as they protected their families, what they could and couldn't do. And, and, and so one thing they could do is they could redeem someone from slavery. So if, if you got into debt with somebody and was held in slavery, the, the kinsman redeemer could come and he could pay your debt and you could get out of slavery. Another thing they could do is if you lost your property, you know, your way of, of living because of taxes or something like that, they could come in and again, redeem the property. Or maybe you, you, know, you got into some kind of scuttle, someone came in and, and and, and beat you up or, or you know, maybe even killed somebody, they could actually avenge the blood of a family member. And then the last thing they could do is they could actually marry a widow and have a child with them to support the family. They could keep the family name going on. So that's what a kinsman redeemer, a goel, could actually do. And so Naomi tells Ruth, he said, this is, this is maybe our way out. Maybe this is what God is doing. And so she, she goes through this whole ritual with Ruth, and it seems really weird to us. You can read it yourself. I'm not going to go through it. But basically, Ruth gets dressed up and, you know, puts perfume on and things, and she goes actually sleeps at the foot of, of Boaz's bed, which is kind of really strange. We get that. But, and this is not a sexual thing. This is not that kind of thing. It's basically a, a show of humility. It's a show of submission. What, what Ruth was basically doing was going to Boaz and asking him to marry her. And it works. Boaz says that he will redeem the family, will redeem some land they have, and he will marry Ruth. And this is very unusual because <laughs> Ruth is a foreigner. 
he doesn't have any, uh, he doesn't know a lot of the, the whole family history back there in Moab. And basically what he's doing, he's taking all of that on. And, and you know how it is with family sometimes, you know? You, do I really want to get involved in all of that kind of crazy stuff? But Boaz is such an honorable man, he realizes that he is not first in line to actually redeem anything for Naomi. And so he says, there's actually a closer relative, so we need to go to him. And he's above the board. He's an honorable man, which is very rare in this day. But he says, we're going to do this the way God wants us to do it. We're going to submit to the, the, the rules and regulations that God has put down. So he goes to this other man with a bunch of people at the gate, and here's the interaction he has. He's talking to this man who is actually the closer relative. I thought I should speak to you about it so that you can redeem if you wish. If you want the land, then buy it here in the presence of these witnesses. But if you don't want it, let me know right away because I am next in line to redeem it after you. And the man replied, yes, I will redeem it. Because he's saying, you know what? I can line my pockets a little bit more. Land is precious. Land is good. I'm going to have that. <laughs> you know, there's something in it for me. But Boaz goes to the next step and says, oh, there's a little bit more to the story than that. Then Boaz told him, of course, your purchase of the land from Naomi also requires that you marry Ruth, the Moabite widow. That way she can have children who will carry on her husband's name and keep the land in the family. You see, there's just this little catch, and the guy says, oh, time out, hold it. <laughs> I did not know all that was coming with the land. And then he goes on and says, then I can't redeem it. The family redeemer replied, because this might endanger my own estate. It may, it may cause my own sons, my own close relatives, not to have all the, the fortune that I have built up. So no, I am not going to go through with this. You redeem the land, I cannot do it. And Boaz does the honorable thing. In a time when everyone was doing what was right in their own eyes, Boaz does what's right in God's eyes. He trusted God's laws, and he trusted God's promises of what was going to happen. He stayed within the guardrails and the parameters. He was living to God's intent, not his own, trying to do it the right way. The story goes on in verse 13. So Boaz took Ruth into his home, and she became his wife. When he slept with her, the Lord enabled her to become pregnant, and she gave birth to a son. Then the women of the town said to Naomi, praise the Lord who has now provided a redeemer for your family. May this child be famous in Israel. May he restore your youth and care for you in your old age, for he is the son of your daughter-in-law who loves you and has been better to you than seven sons. This is an amazing story of God coming through, God coming in and, and, and rescuing. Naomi had thought that God had totally abandoned her that her life was never going to be the same. She even got to the point that she changed her name, that, you know, I'm just bitter. Ruth, who was honorable and shows God, the God of Israel, it shows how amazing of a story that can be. And then there's this Boaz who also trusted God. He trusted God's laws and the promises, and he thought, if I just do this the right way, when the whole society, the whole culture is going the opposite way of what, what it should be done, I will do the honorable thing, and I will follow God no matter what. It's beautiful, isn't it? But that's not the end of the story because God is still working behind the scenes through, through all of this. In that time when, when there was just all this ugliness, all this deceit, this murder, this lust, that, that things were just going awry in the whole culture around them, that, that it didn't look like God was anywhere. God was up to something. 
Everyone was ignoring everything about God, but yet they were asking for this king. They were asking for this deliverer. And Boaz and Ruth have this baby. Verse 16, Naomi took the baby and cuddled him to her breast, and she cared for him as if he were her own. The neighbor woman said, now at last Naomi has a son again, and they named him Obed. And Obed grows up and he gets married, and he has a son by the name of Jesse. We can skip to 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 1, where God tells Samuel, I want you to go and anoint the next king of Israel. And this is going to be a special king, Samuel. It's got to be the right person. 1 Samuel 16, 1 says, So fill your flask with olive oil and go to Bethlehem. Find a man named Jesse who lives there. For I have selected one of his sons to be my king. And so Jesse brings out his oldest son. He's this big strapping man. And Samuel thinks, well, this is surely the guy, you know? And God says, no, that's not the one. I look at something inside, not on the outside. He said, that's not the one. So Jesse brings out the next son. And Samuel looks at him and says, maybe it's this one. And God says, nope, not that one. And he brings out another son. Nope, not that one. And, Je- and Samuel's getting a little frustrated. He says, I, you know, I don't, we're starting to run out of sons here, God. And he, he, he looks in verse 11 and says, There's, is there another son? And Jesse says, they're still the youngest, Jesse replied. But he's out in the fields watching the sheep and goats. I don't think he's the one, Samuel. Send for him at once, Samuel said. We will not sit down to eat until he arrives. So Jesse sent for him. He was dark and handsome with beautiful eyes. And the Lord said, this is the one. Anoint him. So as David stood there among his brothers, Samuel took the flask of olive oil he had brought and anointed David with the oil. And the spirit of the Lord came powerfully upon David from that day on. And David enters God's plan of redemption. Son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, and a Moabite woman named Ruth. And it goes on in 2 Samuel God making a promise to the line of David. Your house and your kingdom will continue before me for all time, and your throne will be secure forever. There's a king that's going to come out of the line of David who is going to change everything for the rest of the world. And we see other prophets that say there's a Messiah coming, there's going to be a rescuer, there's going to be this this person coming that's going to make everything right that a kingdom will never end, and everyone knew that it was going to be coming out of the, the line of David, that Messiah would come out of the one king, David, son of Jesse, son of Obed, son of Boaz, and Ruth. And it's fascinating, isn't it? In this time when we looked at all these stories of judges, that everything is going awry, that, that there was no morality, there was no, nothing right going on, And I can't help but think about where we are today in our own culture, in our own society, where many of us look around and we think, how can it continue going down the path that it's going? There is so much evil. There's there's atrocities happening throughout the world. There's things that shouldn't really be going on. There's all kinds of uh, uh, moral standards are, are just shot. What in the world is going on? It's the same thing. We we think it's different, but it's no different than the time of what was happening in Judges. 
It's been happening like this all the time. And all of the people of Israel, all the people of Judah thought if we just had a king, that would help us. If we only had this military deliver, if only the government would come and take over. And I think, man, how many times is that us? That we are looking for this king, or in our instance, maybe a president, or a political party, that if we could just get this power, it would make it all right. It's never going to change. I'm not telling you that it's not important. I'm just telling you that we are looking for the wrong place for deliverance because our ultimate freedom comes under the authority of God's rule. Nowhere else. That this kingdom that Jesus has established will rule forever. It does topple governments. It does everything if we just live for this king that has come to rescue us. He's the only one that can give us the true freedom that we are looking for. This Jesus that over the next few weeks we're going to honor and we're going to celebrate and we're going to worship the one true king who we get to over the next two weeks through this Easter season see how much he loves each and every one of us. All because of a little baby by the name of Obed who had another one, who had the line of David. An incredible story that God has orchestrated for us. Would you pray with me? Father, (laughs) we look at our world and our culture around us and we think, you know, maybe there's no hope. And there's something inside, probably each and every one of us said, well, if this would just happen and, and our government would do this or a president or whatever and You've already sent the deliverer. You've already sent the person that we really need rescued by. And Father, I just pray that you change our hearts, that we would love the way you love, and that we'd see people the way that you see people. And God, we will cling to, no matter what happens around us in the world, that we will cling to your promises and your hope. It's the only chance we have. And as we prepare for Easter, in just a few weeks. I just pray that you'll be so real to each and every one of us, that you will be close to us, that you will speak into hearts, and that lives will be changed. People will come running back to you as they see that you are the true king and that you love us in an amazing way. We give you all the praise and all the glory for it. It's in Jesus' name, amen. And with that, I want to invite you back over the next couple of weeks. Next week, Jordan will be teaching on Palm Sunday. This theme is, I am the one he loves. And and on Good Friday, we're going to have two services at 4 o'clock and 6 o'clock, and and I encourage you not to miss those. It's going to be a powerful, beautiful time, and then we'll celebrate the resurrected Jesus on Easter. Have a great rest of the week. We'll see you next Sunday.